Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses What your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen. Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, probably Tremors. Yeah, it is Tremors. <laughs> I don't even know why I ask questions to things I already know the answer to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why I said probably. <laughs> <laughs> Prom party. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. Tremors? No. Today's Fine. episode. Fine, be that way. <laughs> Let me have this. We're never talking about tremors on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, not all of us can have a graboid tattoo. Okay, well, they could. Yeah, that's true. We all could. Theoretically, we all could. Yeah. <laughs> Prom party. In honor of Scream's 25th anniversary last year and in preparation for the fifth installment coming out, we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time The Perfect. Incredible, magnificent, untouchable meta horror slasher classic, 1996's Scream. Yeah, yeah, we are. Oh, I'm so excited about this right now. Uh, for anybody who did not look at our schedule over the last forever, which is all of you, uh, BJ's been trying to do Scream since the first October of the podcast, which was like the second month of the podcast. Yeah, I've been pushing for a while, and it was one of those things where I was like, no, I don't want to wait all the way until next October. And it was like, wait, the fifth one's coming out, and it just had an anniversary. I can shoehorn it into January, and nobody can stop me. Yeah, it really didn't need to be an October movie. You can do no. this whenever. Yeah, Scream is an evergreen movie. It is perfectly watchable at any time of the year. Yeah. Ugh, I'm so excited. So, Harmony, I want you to explain to people your particular relationship with this movie because it is incredible. Um, is Scream an absolutely perfect film? Yes. Yes. My brain knows that Scream is a perfect film. <laughs> but, but, big ol' but. But emotionally... I cannot be properly invested in Scream the way I want to be. And why is that, my love? So Scream is a is is a hard rated R film. Yes, it is. I think there's a little more wiggle room for rated R films on uh, on TV and rentals for children when it's a comedy that's rated R. Mm-hmm. So my introduction to Scream One and Scream Two was scary movie. 
Oh, the bane of my existence. Like, I love the scary movie movies, but I also hate that they have warped the brains of so many people and that you misremember them. We talked about this last week with Not Another Teen Movie. Uh Uh-huh. And I hate that you were introduced to Scream by watching scary movies. Here's the thing. Okay, so I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show But for a good few years, one of my best friends lived across the street from me. Mm -hmm. And his house was was anything goes. Because mom was kind of like Helga's mom on Hey Arnold, where she was just checked out and just sat around in pajamas and smoked cigarettes all day. Okay, hon. Yeah, I don't think she was like chronically drunk all the time. I think she was just checked out. Uh Uh-huh. So that was a thing. Um, they had a severely unmanaged younger child who was on the spectrum and was absolute chaos. They had dogs pee on the carpet. They had cats pee on the carpet. They had the small child pee on the carpet because the dog can do it. So why not him? So we're just in like a piss kingdom right now. Yeah, it smelled like pee and cigarettes, like every room in the house. It was the kind of room where it's like, oh, well, what did my friend's bedroom look like a pile of clothes in the corner and a mattress mm-hmm. on the floor gotcha gotcha like that's that's what their home was so we got to do whatever we wanted over there and it didn't matter so we watched a lot of things we shouldn't have which meant going up to the party shop and like renting whatever bad movies were available there that we didn't know they were bad but that's how i saw mostly sequels before the actual good first films mm-hmm. that they were based on mm-hmm. like blair witch for an example Hey, so I'm, a, I'm a staunch defender of Book of Shadows. Carrie 2, for an example. I'm a staunch defender of the Rage Carrie 2. I know, but no one should see those movies first. No, 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 no. Scary Movie was a cop was a movie that my friend had a copy of. Mm. So we watched Scary Movie a lot as like nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, mm-hmm. because it's the funniest shit you've ever seen. And you have, have no context for it. I don't know. I don't know how that lands. Mostly, it's, I think it's the allure of being like, we're not supposed to be watching this. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, like, oh, my God. We're supposed to be watching this. It's why so many kids were like hardcore into Family Guy because they knew that it was like a little bit edgier than The Simpsons. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. that was a thing that I was like about where it's like, oh, you stay up a little too late on a Saturday and you get to watch, oh, my God, you watch Family Guy. Right, or, right. Or Aqua Teens or, I don't know, 12 Ounce Mouse, <laughs> whatever else was on in 2003. <laughs> so... Yeah, my relationship to Scream, there's like an emotional block in the way, Mm -hmm. and it's unfortunately the Wayans Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the first time that you explained this to me, my heart like pooped its pants a little bit, because it's not something that you can change. Like, this is part of your lived experience, and it's just a bummer that that's what it is, because you obviously, you love Scream, Mm -hmm. and you enjoy Scream, and you know that it's a great movie, but it unfortunately is not able to like really cross that threshold for you, because Scary Movie existed beforehand, similarly to how you were convinced that she's all that included uh, a ponytail and glasses until yeah. it was like, nope, that's not another teen movie. That is not the same thing. Yeah, I'm really liking that these two episodes are actually going back to back like that with the not another teen movie and our Scream episode because Scary Movie was so definite. And the second one as well, but since that's not specifically built around one movie, really, it's built around like a collection of like haunting kind of films. Mm-hmm. Um those movies aren't quite as directly ruined as like this one where it's like, oh, it's a little I know what you did last summer. 
but it's basically just entirely it's, Scream 1 and it's 2. It's very prominently Scream 1 and 2. So yeah, yeah, when I watch Scream, do I think, man, I really love David Arquette as Officer Dewey. Because I do. Yeah. But I also think, man, Officer Doofy stuck his dick in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> do I think about like the dramatic buildup of like dad being this red herring the entire movie? No, I think of them pulling dad out and he's in kink gear. <laughs> do I think of Ghostface being like the barely keeping his plot together villain that I absolutely love? No, I think of him going, Because that's aged really well. And running down the stairs while... From a piano? Yeah. Which, that scene's good. Here's the thing. I think I hate Scary Movie 1 one and 2 and probably all of them. I think I hate them. Not because they're bad. Like... I think Anna Ferris and Regina Hall are great. Yeah, they are great. I think that they are the best parts of these movies. Then I have to deal with the Waynes brothers telling weed jokes and homophobic jokes the rest of the movie. Don't love that quite as much. Right. So um, it's a mixed bag that's mostly negative, mm-hmm. And it's unfortunately in the way of me enjoying Scream the way that I want to. <laughs> and I cannot, I, I can't emotionally be invested in this movie the way I should. Because it's like, man, that, that like, I can think about how the opening of this movie is Really scary and really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's mean. It is. It is mean. But also, I think of Carmen Electra getting her fake boob stabbed out. Right. So, uh, I, I I don't go there first. I like it sucks the wind out of my sails. Yeah, and I think that it's really important to have this part of the discussion. I mean, obviously, we're going to dive into Scream because I'm obsessed with it and yeah, I love it. This is probably going to be the only time we're really going to talk about scary movies. Exactly. But, but we did need to lay that groundwork because it's really important to know where our differing perspectives are coming from and why this isn't just going to be like a bloody gush fest the way that it could be. Because I know that there are people out there that are like you, where they weren't at an age where they could see Scream when it first came out. And they likely did see Scary Movie first because that's what ended up on TV first. Mm -hmm. And that's what they could watch on Comedy Central whenever the hell it played. Mm -hmm. And the thing about these like parody movies that exist specifically, Scary Movie and Not Another Teen Movie, is that they do kind of ruin a lot of these movies. I know we've talked about it in passing about um like how the 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 constant parroting and mocking of Blair Witch projects over the years has really kind of diffused the power that movie has for a lot of mm-hmm. people and it's really important to recognize that Scary Movie did that for Scream. Oh, and yeah. that's fucked. It, it's death by pop culture mm-hmm. where it's like okay cool is the sixth sense still impactful? Probably, but also has the I see dead people thing kind of been ruined for 20 some years? Yeah. It does bullet time in the Matrix look cool after you've seen 50,000 parodies of it? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think it looked that cool to begin with. But, like, you get my point. It's like pop yeah. culture will just grab something that was such a monumental thing and go, yeah, but fuck this thing. We're going to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really important that we that we acknowledge that yeah. as we go into this discussion. I, I think the modern equivalent you have of something like that nowadays is like over a three-day cycle, Twitter will take something that's really funny and then make it not funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's It happens quite a bit. We kill memes very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I am the complete opposite of Harmony. Um, Good. I'm happy for you. <laughs> So my introduction to Scream was first with the commercials, and as a six-year-old, because lest we forget, we are children when this movie came out. 
Mm-hmm. Ghostface was the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life. Oh, he's got a great design. It was one of those things where those commercials would show up. Uh, they did them a lot on MTV. Like, I remember that. Like, MTV played a lot of them for Scream, well, which makes sense. It's a feels teen. like an MTV generation. Kind yeah, of thing. it's a teen movie. So, like, that's kind of the perfect channel to advertise. But anytime Ghostface appeared on screen, I would freak out to the point where I memorized the, like, the sound of the, the phone ringing as the start of the commercial. And that was my cue to leave the living room and come back like pretend to get a snack uh suddenly i need to use a q-tip and clean my ears out for no reason Mm -hmm. or um i just need to make a lap go see what my little sister's doing this little sister that i fight with all the time i suddenly am very invested in what she's doing yeah like i knew how long that commercial ended because i knew that's how long i needed to stay out of the living room to not just be scared shitless yeah um so then when it finally did hit uh like vhs yeah, it would have been VHS at the time. Um, my One of my friends in the neighborhood, who was the same one that I used to go camping with all the time, she got a copy of it. And she was like, we're going to watch it. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. And like, I'm like, what, seven or eight at this point when it mm-hmm. finally came out? And I was so scared. So, 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 so scared. And then we sat there and we watched it and I could not take my eyes off it. Mm-hmm. I was so fixated and so obsessed with it. I loved it so much. And it scared the shit out of me. Like I, this is one of the movies that I talk a lot about being able to watch whatever I wanted growing up and developing a little bit of desensitization to a lot of horror. Scream scared me shitless. Really? Yes. That's so weird because I've never been scared of Scream. Oh my God. I was horrified. And it was just the combination of what Ghostface looks like. That mask is really scary to me. All of the kills feel really grounded in reality. For as extreme as they are, they feel very, like, possible. Like, Uh, a lot of Michael Myers kills never felt possible to me, like, because he has super strength. And, like, same with Jason Voorhees. Like, he's unstoppable. Scream, because of who the killers are, mm -hmm. is so grounded in reality where I was like, no, this is not okay. And it was very upsetting to me. Ghostface is is fallible because he's, he's a klutz. But yeah, that that it just scared the shit out of me. And something about that face, like that mask was so jarring to look at. And then, you know, when we were kids, that's when they would have the interactive like Halloween masks where mm-hmm. you could like squeeze the pump and then the mask would bleed. It would bleed, yeah. And a bunch of kids in school got those for Halloween like in the next following years. Kids who had never even seen the movie. Yeah. And they would just torment each other with it. And they would creep around corners and scare you. And like that... That's where my brain goes is like yours goes to scary movie and like kind of the funniness to it. Mine goes to being like eight years old and being horrified coming out of the bathroom in my school because some kid is standing there with a ghost face mask on holding a plastic knife and just making me want to cry. Man, when you could bring plastic knives to school. Right. Man, we, we were had a strict no weapon policy with Halloween costumes by the time I was in like third grade. Yeah, our no-weapon policy hit uh, post-Columbine. Yeah, so that would be about right. Yeah, it's fifth grade. Who'd have thought? Yeah, right. Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. So, 1996 both feels like it is yesterday and so, so far. It does not feel like yesterday to me. It feels <laughs> quite far away. <laughs> I don't know. I have days where I'm like, I'm still, it's still, you know, the 90s or 10 years ago. Like one of those weird uh-huh. ways that time is frozen. Yeah. So what is going on 
culturally in 96 that Scream kind of either fits in or doesn't fit into at all? See, we do not actually spend that much time in the mid-90s on this show. And I didn't really realize it until I sat down to, like, research our context for this movie. And I think that's because there is a severe drought of teen-centric films coming out during the middle of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in 1995, you had stuff like Clueless came out. Right. You had um, Empire Records came out. Mm-hmm. So, like, there were these big monumental films. But aside from that, I think we had moved past, like, the bodacious dudisms of the 80s and the Bill and Ted crowd and the Encino Man crowd and the Wayne's World crowd. And then studios were like, well, what do we do? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really know. So, like, leading into this year, I wanted to see, like, what was going on in 95. And um, aside from the aforementioned Clueless and Empire Records, here's some of the things that were coming out that don't really fit a, a, a teen movie formula that we would see in the beginning or the end of this decade. Mm-hmm. The Doom Generation. Okay. Hackers. Okay. Kids. Oh, I love kids, but yeah, that's a wild movie. I saw kids at the LGBT center as a 19-year-old, and they just put it on and then gave us no context and then didn't help us unpack it. Nope, that's not a way to watch that movie. It was real fucked up. <laughs> um, Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh, fuck, I love Welcome to the Dollhouse so much. And Mallrats. Okay, so we have a lot of movies that are very much like fringe teens. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that that's sort of like what the mid-90s was being defined by as a whole. Because by the time you get to 1996, you, again, you have a couple big releases like Romeo plus Juliet and The Craft, which it itself is also very fringe. But aside from that, there's not much else outside of Scream that came out this year. Like there were films with actors who would go on to be bigger, um, like Fear with Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. um, a movie called Foxfire that I've never seen with Angelina Jolie and Jenny Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, Terror in the Family with Hilary Swank, which is <laughs> yeah. a TV movie. Uh, Last of the High Kings, which is has Jared Leto and Christina Ricci. Like, there's people either that are mostly on the rise as like teen or like young adult stars. But there's nothing. If you if you look up teen movies from 1996, the second option that Google gives you is Moesha. Which is a show. Yes. (laughs) Like, the third one is Beautiful Girls, which I guess is a high school reunion movie. And the fifth option is From Dusk Till Dawn. (laughs) Like, Google, what are you doing? I don't know. It is an immense drought. Well, and speaking of droughts, this is not just a teen movie. This is also a horror movie. And horror movies in the mid-90s are weird. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the 90s because the 80s was when there was just an explosion that is the renaissance resurgence of the American horror movie. Yes. It's mostly slashers. There's some creature features thrown in there as well, but it is predominantly slashers. Oh, yeah, because they're cheap. Yes. So by the time we get into the 90s, then the start of the decade is Silence of the Lambs, Mm -hmm. which exploded in popularity, but that's not a teen horror movie. That is for adults. Yep. And it is, you know, also a crime drama, and it's also kind of like copaganda. Uh-huh. So then we started getting a lot of these, like, horror action thriller hybrids. Yeah, like, a little more a little more prestigious. A lot of dad movies mm-hmm. is the way I like to frame well, them. The 90s was, like, the crime thriller and the action drama era. Yeah. 
a ton of those. Um, we also, you know, in the 90s, we started getting like erotic thrillers as mm-hmm. well, which I love them. But again, those are not geared towards teenagers. No, those the are, crush is not for teens. No, those are, that's for adults. Yeah. Um, so we kind of have this drought for horror movies focused on teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of it was because there was so much of a saturation in the 80s, people just didn't know where to go from here. Yeah. They're like, well, what are we going to do? And that's why something like Scream makes so much sense. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. So before I give the synopsis, I also just want to paint like a little bit more of a picture. Sure. Right. So a few years before Scream, mm-hmm. Wes Craven made Nightmare on Elm Street, New Nightmares. And that is kind of his first step into a meta horror movie. Yeah. We're dealing with Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy Thompson in the Nightmare series. And he's in it. She's playing she's playing a character version of herself. And New Nightmares is a movie that I will kind of go to bat for because I think that it's really adventurous. And, like, he's taken some really big swings with this mm-hmm. one. It doesn't quite hit the way that it could or should. And I don't think that audiences knew what to do quite yet with a meta movie. Like, we haven't had Being John Malkovich yet. So, like, I don't think people fully could grasp what was going on. But you can see the the seed of something like Scream in New Nightmares, which I find very, very interesting. Definitely. Um, So then you have Wes Craven, who is somebody who created one of the biggest horror franchises in history, which is Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. one of the premier Mount Rushmore slasher figures. Yeah. Like, without a doubt. And to revitalize the genre the same way that he had did with Nightmare, where the slasher then was given a personality mm-hmm. and was given something to do. Like, is a character. Like, Freddy has a character. As to Michael who doesn't. Michael Jason who, doesn't, who doesn't. Jason who doesn't. Many like, of other lesser ones don't. Right. And so then he takes... What he knows about the slasher, this formula that he has created, Mm -hmm. he brings in Kevin Williamson, one of the most incredible horror screenwriters that we will have in history. And also very proficient in teen dramas. Yes. And also gay, which is a very important factor to keep into this. Mm -hmm. And the two of them combine to make Scream, a meta slasher that is able to break down the formula that he helped create and to usher in a completely new world of the possibilities of the horror movie. Yeah. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So let's look at our Fandango synopsis. Sure. Um, <laughs> I quite like it. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I think that it's a pretty interesting one. This is clearly somebody who loves this movie because uh, you'll see. You'll see when you hear it. Those are my favorite ones of these. Or the people who have just straight up didn't watch it. Those are also my favorite. (laughs) The sleepy little town of Woodsboro just woke up screaming. There's a killer in their midst who's seen a few too many scary movies. Suddenly, nobody is safe as the psychopath stalks victims, taunts them with trivia question, then rips them to bloody shreds. It could be anybody. That's it. That's it. All right. I love it. I love that so much. No, no mentioning, like that feels like the back of a box, right? Like most Fandango synopsises, we get it's like we're gonna name drop the actors in mm-hmm. here. We're gonna give away everything up through the second act. Yeah. And, and this was like, no, you get nothing, and that which, is the perfect way to 
introduce people to this movie. Yeah, especially because obviously we mentioned like the crime drama and like the crime thriller and like this is a whodunit. Yeah. This is a mystery. Keep it mysterious. Which is something that is also so cool about this is that when we look at our big slasher, like our Mount Rushmore slashers, right? Yeah. So we have Freddy. We know who Freddy is. We know Fred Krueger. We know his story. Yeah. We have Michael Myers. We know who Michael is. We know his story. We have Jason. We know him. We know his story. Leatherface, we know him. We kind of know his story. His canon's a little messy. Yeah. We have Chucky. Same thing. We know Charles Lee Ray. We know where he's coming from. And then you have Ghostface. Ghostface is not one person. Mm-hmm. Ghostface Spoilers. is a... Heaven forbid I spoil this movie from 1990 fucking six. <laughs> but even when we look at the, the trajectory of Ghostface, Ghostface has never been one person. He, mm-hmm. like, the, the killer of Ghostface has changed. Ghostface is sometimes a man, sometimes a woman, sometimes more than one person. Mm-hmm. Ghostface is a symbol. That is so powerful and so groundbreaking and so different than any other slasher yeah and it's uh, i just love it it's brilliant i I think that's why you get different incarnations of ghostface have their own unique charms but they're inherently trying to play the same character right they're they're cosplaying a murderer yes yes absolutely they are all essentially trying to cosplay this idea of what ghostface is yes and that's really fascinating yeah and my favorite thing about ghostface is that he is a doofus like that yeah. Because everyone, none of this is sincere. No one actually is Ghostface. Everyone's trying to be this character, which means it's usually a teenager. They're usually getting thrown through tables or walls or trip and fall or like. Hey, but also respect to Debbie Salt. Correct. <laughs> there, there's some believable bullshit about Ghostface that I think makes him so much more interesting because you can beat Ghostface. You can easily beat Ghostface. You just have to but you be smart. Don't. Yeah, and you don't. And that's what makes Ghostface so scary is because Ghostface is not afraid to fall and trip, but they will get back up. And he runs. And he runs, and that's just scary. Yeah. <laughs> and he's also, he taunts you, and like that's also just inherently really, really oh, yeah. scary. yeah, he does it for the love of the sport. Yes, exactly. So let's let's go to our format. Let's talk about Scream. Let's talk about our girl. Let's talk about Sydney fucking Prescott. How and do you feel about Sydney? For the sake of the episode, I'm going to encapsulate this by talking purely about Scream 1, especially because this is our only one that is a bona fide like teen teen movie. Mm-hmm. Scream 2 sort of, but like definitely Scream 1. Yeah. Again, I'm marred a little bit by Sydney because Because your brain goes to Anna Ferris. Cuz my brain goes to Anna <laughs> Ferris, who is so not what Sydney Prescott is. But um I don't I don't I don't know. I think I think I like Sydney. I think she's strong. I think she has morals and convictions and like she's a good main character. But I guess I've never really thought about her on a deep level like that before because I'm mm-hmm. just always distracted by my own personal hang-ups. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well it's not, it's not Nev Campbell's fault. It's not it's not it's not Sydney's fault, it's not the writing's fault. It's your fault. Yeah. Actually, no, it's Scary Movie's fault. Okay, thank you. That feels <laughs> more correct. <laughs> Let's I mean, it's my fault for not thinking about it more, I suppose, but like, I don't know. I just find it, I just, I was always distracted by something else. I am the complete opposite. Okay. I love Sydney Prescott. You and everyone else. Sydney Prescott. So here's the thing. I'm going to talk about Sydney Prescott. Yes, in the context of Scream, but also it's impossible to talk about her character without talking about sort of just the entire universe that Scream has built. The other thing that makes the Scream franchise stand out more than its contemporaries 
is the fact that Scream is Sidney Prescott. Mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street can exist without Nancy Thompson. And, and it, it has. Yeah. It's done it many times. Same thing with Friday the 13th. And honestly, I'm, I know that this, th- this is blasphemous. So does Halloween. There mm-hmm. are Halloweens that do not have Laurie Strode in them that are still fun. Like half of them. And some of the ones that have Laurie Strode in them are not fucking fun. Don't say it. I'm not saying it. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> but Scream does not exist without Sidney Prescott. It, she is the franchise. And we talk all the time about slashers and final girls and their power and how great they are. But Scream is the only one that has ever centered an entire franchise around the fucking final girl. Billy, I was attacked and nearly filleted last night. I mean, between us. You haven't been the same since... since your mother died. Is your brain leaking? My mom was killed. I can't believe you're bringing this up. I know, it's been a year. Tomorrow. One year tomorrow. I know, I think it's time you got over that. I mean, when my mom left my dad, I accepted it. It's the way it is. She's not coming back. Your parents split up. This is not the same thing. Your mom left town. She's not lying in a coffin somewhere. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. It's it's a bad analogy. But it's just that I want my girlfriend back. Sid. I am sorry if my traumatized life is an inconvenience to you and your perfect existence. Especially for slashers, I think the thing that gets people in there is a cool, compelling villain. Right. Like... I don't know, the guy from Slumber Party Massacre? Nobody's paying to see him. He's just some guy with a drill. Yeah, no one gives a shit about the driller killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he he's not interesting in the way that, like, Jason Voorhees or whoever is. But I think the thing that stands out to me about Sydney is that I'm so distracted by her specifically in the first Scream movie and, to a lesser extent, the second one. But what I find more interesting about her character is that as time goes on, it's about her response to trauma and mm-hmm. fame. And like, that's the part of her that I find more interesting, um, which develops over time. So it's like, kind of like, I don't really understand her, or at least I've never really put as much thought into this first movie with her. Well, in her first movie, she's also responding to trauma because it's the one year anniversary of her mom being murdered. Uh-huh. And she's going through all of that. And her friends are, they're teenagers. So while they definitely have empathy for her they feel bad for her there are multiple instances where people are kind of like oh you're still dealing with this and it's like yeah motherfucker like not only was her mother murdered but then she had to testify and go through the entire court thing she had to deal with the media circus Mm -hmm. she had to deal with gail fucking weathers who is like queen bee cunt in the first movie she's she's such an asshole in the first movie and like, that's a lot for her to deal with as a teenager. That's so much for her to deal mm-hmm. with as a teenager. And then to top it all off, she's got her boyfriend who, spoiler alert, is trying to kill her the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And it's what, like, the brilliance of Scream is that once you know who the killers are and you go back and watch it, everything is sort of projected throughout the entire thing. You just have to know what to look well, for. They're, they're really obvious about it. But you can also, like... Put that aside as just being like, well, Tatum's also a bitch. Like, Billy's kind of an asshole. Like, everyone's a little bit of a jerk. Well, yeah, because they're high schoolers. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, is it actually that obvious when everyone kind of behaves like this? And that's that's why it's so brilliant is because, like, if you don't know what to look for, like, everybody feels like they could be the villain because everyone kind of is a piece of shit. It's the 90s. It's the 90s. But then when you know and you go back and you really listen, you're like, oh, you were 
all you were dropping all these little little graham cracker crumbs for us to get to this candy house. Uh-huh. I see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, but I love Sydney because she has always been about perseverance and she's also not afraid to to admit that she's got issues and that it's hard to get through it. Mm-hmm. I think so many times when we see final girls, they are put on these weird pedestals where they're not allowed to show weakness. Like Nancy Thompson, especially like she is from the beginning, like don't fucking fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Laurie Strode in the first movie, like she's being terrorized the entire time. And there's not like Laurie kind of survives out of happenstance in the first movie. Yeah. Um, throughout the the course of Halloween, she gains her strength. Sydney from Jump Street is like in control and doing what she can while simultaneously f- having weird, complicated feelings about it. Yeah. She's the most grounded final girl that we have, and I'm obsessed with her. I love her so much. What I think is really interesting is that we're sitting here having this conversation, and you and I have never actually talked about this, period. We really Why haven't. Why isn't that? I don't know. Maybe it's, again, I have a theory now as I'm thinking about this like on the fly. I think it's because anytime you and I have discussed Scream, it's always been about the aspect of how all I am distracted by a scary movie. Mm-hmm. And that means that, again, my life with Scream is being wildly dictated by how fucking annoying scary movie is. Right. That I'm not, that you and I aren't even having a discussion about, like, the deep intricacies of Sidney Prescott's character. Yeah. Which should be the most important thing. <laughs> but, like, we do that with the later movies. Yeah. You and I do that with three. We especially do it with four because I actually really love four. I love four. I love four. Four is an underrated masterpiece. There I said it. I think four is my favorite because I don't have things in the way of me enjoying it. That is, okay, that's fascinating. And I really love that, actually, because you're totally right. Like, four is, what's so brilliant about four is that it's sort of reinventing itself, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, but, yeah, you there's really nothing. Like, three and four are the two that were really untouched by they, they parodies. Were, they were not they were not ruined by other people yeah. or scary movie. Oh, and when you I break it down, this. three is clearly not in the league of the other ones. So well, no, like, it's... obviously four is better. And I think that four is the one I enjoy the most because I get to enjoy four, I think, the way that most people got to enjoy the first one. And I guess all the other ones. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Ooh, interesting. That's like, fun. I remember seeing four when it was fresh and new. And it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. And Sydney's great in it. She is. And also, I love Kirby. Oh, Kirby. Who probably will not come back. <laughs> Respect for Kirby. There's a reason that I have a t-shirt with Kirby on it. Exactly. she's the best. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I, I think that that's my issue with Sydney specifically in the first movie. Okay. This this makes complete sense, though. And, like, your, your inability to make that connection is clearly established like okay. you have no reason to feel bad about this yeah well i do and the internet's gonna go how did you not well people on the internet need to fucking go outside and consume a single fresh molecule of oxygen yeah, and make a single real life friend yeah that's true <laughs> so anyway that's sydney our next characters i just want to get one out of the way just because i i just don't want to give more time than necessary but it's important because it's important I just want to get Randy out of the way really quick. Oh, fucking hate Randy. I fucking hate Randy. This is the best Jamie Kennedy's ever been, and that's not a good thing. (laughs) Jamie Kennedy is a curse on every movie he's in, especially the Tremors movies. I'm bringing it back to the beginning of the episode. (laughs) So here's the thing. Randy is sort of presumed to be the killer, like, 
pretty early on in the movie. And it is specifically because he does have the knowledge of horror movies. Mm -hmm. Because another part of why Scream is so successful and why it's such a meta horror is because it's a slasher movie where people acknowledge that slashers exist. Mm -hmm. They, they These movies are real. They have happened. People consume them. Yeah. This is not a zombie movie where people are like, oh my God, they're eating them. What's happening? What are like, these deadheads? Yeah, what are these, what are these walkers? Walk yeah, no, they're like... We're calling it what it is. Like, we're in a slasher movie. Yeah. Like, beautiful. Love that. I hate Randy so much because Randy is every single fucking guy I have ever met at a convention who sees me walk in, sees whatever I'm wearing, and goes, huh, nice shirt. Name three lines from it. Oh, yeah, you like John Carpenter? What's his best movie? And you can't say Halloween. Like, they're those fucking guys. Here's the thing. Absolutely. But I think wholly the issue with Randy is that Randy clearly loves horror movies. And a lot of people I know who are into horror relate to Randy because they love horror movies. Yes. The issue is how Randy goes about his love of horror exactly. movies. Exactly. Randy doesn't give a fuck what you like. Randy wants to talk at you about the things he likes. And this is why Kirby is an infinitely better character Damn in right. Scream 4 because she has just as much of an encyclopedic knowledge of horror movies, but she's not a piece of shit about it. Yeah, she wants to welcome you into the thing that she talks about rather than just talk down to you about it. Exactly. Randy is hey, absolutely- everyone at the party, we're just going to sit down and watch Halloween and I'm going to tell you why it's great. Yeah, fuck off, Randy. It's like his, and it's not like inherently what he's doing is bad. It's his attitude that's bad. Yeah, and the fact that he also feels like such a weird entitlement to Sydney and is like so buttered about it. Yeah, grow up. Like I, oh, I hate Randy Meeks. I love his sister Heather Moderato forever. But yeah, no, <laughs> fucking hate Randy. He yeah. Sucks eggs. Agreed. Anyway, we're done with Randy now. Okay, we're done with Randy, but we had to talk about him because it's important to talk about like the meta context of this. So okay, you're out of here. Get out of here. Let's talk about Tatum. She is, uh, she's that bitch, huh? Tatum is that bitch. Yep. I love Tatum because Tatum is absolutely like that bitchy popular girl who still hangs out with her childhood best friend and really does care about her, mm -hmm. but also is still a bitch. Like, yeah. she's great. Yeah. I love she, Tatum. She is the worst, but she looks the best. Yeah. And has like, I, I love every outfit she wears in this whole movie. Oh, they're so good. Ugh. And I love that they have her in the number 10 jersey paying homage Johnny to Depp, Johnny Depp yeah. and Nightmare. Like, that's great. I love that she dies because her titties are too big in a in a garage door. I feel that pain. That's also how I would die. I The, the tragedy of that is like, I can suspend my disbelief that it's a powerful garage door. Mm -hmm. The tragedy of that and the loss of Rose McGowan, who was not as much of a problem in 1996 as she is these days. Yeah. I'm distracted by it because, again, instead of big titties, it's some fat lady. Right. Who can't, like, oh, no, she brings the whole ceiling down on top of herself. Right. It's one of the, again, one of those moments where I'm like, this should be silly, this should be fun. Like, it's a little goofy. Like, it, Scream is inherently a goofy movie. Right. But, again, fucks with me. And I was like, I'm not going to talk about scary movie the whole thing. I'm like, I'm gonna. It's I can't because not. it's inescapable for you because Ugh. they they're intertwined in your brain. Yeah, like, and that's okay. That's not your fault. It's scary movies' fault. I know, and this is why I hate scary movie. I'm so mad. I'm <laughs> fucking spitzing. So we have Tatum, and then we also have Tatum's big brother. How oh, we have David Arquette. David Arquette, precious baby angel, David Arquette. I love David Arquette. I love Dewey and Dewey's arc throughout the franchise is my favorite of them if i'm going to be totally honest because mm -hmm. he is kind of presented as kind of like a fumbling bumbling idiot in the mm -hmm. first one nowhere near to the extent as it is in scary movie but 
he really does grow. And I think that it's so important that we have a character, especially a male character, Mm -hmm. that is presented as somebody who can grow up and isn't the same the entire time and evolves. And I think that that's great. Yeah. I mean, ACAB does include Dewey. Sorry about it. Yeah. Um, But he genuinely does have the best interest at heart. He's trying to make things better. He's he's trying to protect and serve. I think he's one of the better examples of a cop who I want to believe is good. Right. You know? Yeah. It's not his fault that he's working in like a fucked system. Like, exactly. I mean, he could quit and choose a different career path. But once you've endured something like Ghostface and all of these things, I understand why he doesn't want to leave the profession. Yeah. I get it. So in the documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Yeah. Which was one of my favorite movies the year it was released. Yes. One of the things that is brought up is that David Arquette was kind of fast-tracked to be like a big movie star, but then he was in things like Ready to Rumble and Scream, and he was kind of portrayed as a doofus despite these being very successful films. Yes. Well, Scream was not Ready to Rumble. (laughs) But I almost wonder how much there is this misremembering of people associating Dewey with being a much more, like as much more of a buffoon than he actually is because they're misremembering Scary Movie. And I almost wonder how much of an impact that would have on something like his career that we saw in that documentary. That's a really, really interesting point. And I think that you might be onto something there because you're totally right. Like he did these movies and then he didn't get to have that career trajectory that he was definitely poised for. Oh, yeah. And I think that it really was the combination of, like, he was in wrestling, which people in the industry, until The Rock came about, did not take seriously. Like, everybody was like, that's a joke. That's not real. And to be fair, the Attitude Era is a fucking nightmare, so, like, I get it. But then I think combining that with, in their brain, Officer Doofy from Scary Movie, Mm -hmm. that's who they think David Arquette is. And that's not who he is. No. He would. I... Again, like, it makes me so frustrated because I love David Arquette so much. I'm so excited when he pops up in anything. I watched that man, professional, like, wrestle a few months ago. And he was a Bob Ross parody who created an angry tree to wrestle Whopper Texas Ranger, a burger cowboy. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And it was one of the most fun things I did in 2020. It was such a delight. And David Arquette can actually paint. Good for him. He did. He used the Bob Ross technique. <laughs> and apparently, according to our friends, like he went backstage and just continued his he painting after his the painting. match. <laughs> I love David Arquette so much. Yeah, David Arquette rules. <laughs> like He's wonderful. And I love him in this movie. And I'm so glad that they've continued to bring him back throughout the, the course of the series. Agreed. Because he, he is very intrinsic to the storyline. And, and I love him. And the flip side of that, Gail Weathers. Oh, I don't like Gail as much as everyone else does. I love Gail. <laughs> I think she's kind of insufferable. I love that she's insufferable. I love a woman who is very fucking done. Because that's who Gail is. She's done. Mm-hmm. She is sick and tired of people not taking her seriously for the, for her job, for her gender, for the way she dresses. She does not give a fuck. I, and that's amazing. I get that. I just think I don't like awful characters as much as everyone else <laughs> ever i like okay what's the old adage of like a bad guy sticks around long enough and eventually everyone grows to love him just because of like ah oh, you have fondness like it's it's like nostalgic at a point mm-hmm. where it's like i've never come around on gail being like oh she stick around this whole time got a lot of love for her. i'm like no i think gail is very self-centered and frustrating well gail also though does evolve like she's- i know she does but she's still Still basically on that same trajectory yeah, of I love her. being awful for me. I love her so much. I can't wait to see how the three of them interact in the new one because, mm-hmm. like, 
It's been so many years. They've been through so much. There's mm-hmm. a lot of trauma. Like they, all of them seem like very weathered down yeah. in like their persona. Like, ugh. Like they just seem so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. I would also be exhausted. <laughs> I would too. I I think Gail is a really good character. I just don't like her the way everyone else does. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. That like I, Gail... I feel like I get the correct response that I'm supposed to get out of her, especially in the first movie, mm-hmm. where she's a lot more wholly unlikable. Mm-hmm. And so like that's good. But then I just never kind of came around on her. Yeah, no, I know, but Gale type characters don't work for you pretty much across the board. Yeah. Like, this isn't like a Courtney Cox specific thing. This is, you don't like these characters. I like, I watched m- m- several episodes of Cougar Town, damn it. Courtney Cox is fantastic. I like Courtney like, Cox. Like, she is wonderful. <laughs> I love Courtney Cox. Yeah. Um, and I also just love Gale Weathers. I think she's a bad bitch. <laughs> okay. I love her very much. <laughs> um. All right. So, the other two, like, major players. Got Billy and Stu. Oh, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard is, as always, on an entirely different level as everyone else, no matter what he is in. Matthew Lillard is incredible in everything, all the time. But in this movie, this might be one of my favorite horror performances, period. He's unfucking believable So good. Because he's so silly and so goofy and so inappropriate, but he is committing so hard. Yeah. Like, he's bringing the same sort of, like, ridiculous levels of energy from Scooby-Doo, but, like, in a serious world. But he's a psychopath? But he's a psychopath. He's so good. He's so good. And, like, just every little thing about, even when he's, like, dying, he still has the same personality. Right. I love that about him. It makes me... get woozy. (laughs) He's so good. And then, like, I mean, the the kind of yin to his yang is we have Skeet Ulrich as Billy, who is far more, like, just directly evil. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not as silly about it. Um, far more manipulative, very much scary. Like he is that scary ex-boyfriend that like your friend dates and you're like, hey, we should we should talk about this. Yeah. We should talk about this. He, he's a red flag. He, he's a walking he's red flag. Such a bad boy. Honestly, what I think is really funny about Skeet Ulrich is that he gives off wicked Timothy Oliphant energy. Yeah. Which then he would essentially be replaced by Timothy Oliphant <laughs> in the second movie. <laughs> Yeah, you are not wrong. That's pretty much exactly what happened. <laughs> Which I think is so funny to me. Um, but yeah, Billy is definitely, he's unhinged in a not fun way. Like, Stu brings the party. Billy is the one who kills the party. Hello? Oh, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? Billy's got one. The police are on their way. What are you going to tell them? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. I'm gonna rip you up, you bitch! Just like your fucking mother! You gotta find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! Fuck! Uh, fucking hit me with a phone, dick! <laughs> Fucker, where are you? Ah! Ah, you fuck! Did you really call the police? You missed your sorry ass, I My mom and dad are gonna be so mad! Ah! But I also love the idea that we have two people working together because something that always requires a suspension of disbelief in a horror movie is this idea that they kind of feel everywhere and nowhere Mm -hmm. at once. Despite never walking, despite only walking. Exactly. Whereas like Ghostface 
dead sprints multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's two people. He like throws himself through windows, yeah. through doors, downstairs. Like He's so agile. <laughs> Not since Sackhead Jason have we seen a killer, but they have this much hustle. Yeah, and it's because we have two people. So like when you need to take, it's a tag team. You got to take that breath. You got to calm down. You got to get your bearings. You got to mm-hmm. make that hot tag. Let someone else go for it for a little while yeah. and then swap it back out so that they can have their break. It's it's brilliant. It's so smart. And it's almost too smart for their own good. Because like that's the whole thing is like their plan is barely staying together even with this. Like mm-hmm. they haven't figured out, but they're incompetent teens. Right, right. And they're getting arrogant because their plan is too good. Mm-hmm. And that's why it like starts to fall apart and like you start to see these cracks because they're having too much fun. Yeah, they're starting to uh, believe their own hype a little bit. Uh, they're smelling their own farts a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's the arrogance of being like a teen boy where you're like, you're invincible and you're smarter than everyone and you're tougher yes. than everyone and you're never going to die. Yes. Like it's all of that balled up into like a very directed goal. Which makes complete sense for this movie. Like oh, it's yeah. so smart. Like it makes complete sense from like a psychological standpoint, from like a horror world formula standpoint, like every single thing about this movie tracks Mm -hmm. and that's why Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson are so brilliant together like it just like no notes like it's all good (laughs) every character in this movie is exactly the way they should be yes like even if I don't like them like Randy sucks but Randy makes sense even if I don't have the same fondness for Gail that everyone else does Gail is perfectly done for who she's supposed to be Mm -hmm. like Billy is obviously overshadowed by how much everyone loves Matthew Lillard. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Skeet Ulrich, but like Matthew Lillard got you. I'm so sorry. Exactly. And (laughs) but speaking of like those two, actually, this is something that is definitely worth bringing up. Is it that they're gay and in love with each other? Oh, boy. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. um, Billy loves too, baby. I definitely did not pick up on how gay that was when I was like 12, 13 years old and watching this the first time. Mm hmm. So. Did you? Um, so, yes, I did. And How old are you? Seven? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Seven or eight, eight or nine. Seven or eight. No, seven or eight. That's how old I would have been. Okay. Yeah, no, I pretty much knew that, but I'm also somebody who had exposure to like queer people. I was also watching John Waters movies by this okay. point in my life. You had queer cinema and queer people. I had neither. Yeah. So, like, I, I had all of that, and what was very fun, and this is going to be a shout-out that I'm very excited to make, okay, is that when I start, first started writing about horror professionally during kind of the blog boom of the late aughts, mm-hmm. um, there was a group that I was a part of called the League of Tana Tea Drinkers, and it was basically a collective of people that were doing very specifically branded horror blogs. Um, So the guy who ran the group, he is in charge of the Frankensteinia blog, and it is a blog that is entirely dedicated to the world of Frankenstein stories, monsters. Like, literally anything you need to know about Frankenstein is on Frankensteinia. Like, Mm -hmm. everything you need to know. And I got invited in for Day the Woman because everything that I was talking about was all about, like, gender theory and feminism. But uh, my my blog father, as I call him, still a dear friend, Mr. Pa- Mr. Pax Romano, ran a website called Billy Loves Stew, and it was in it was all about analyzing gay horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pax also had done a lot of work dissecting 
films from like the the era of like 42nd Street and like a lot of sex movies and mm-hmm. some porn movies. Um, Love that. Pax is the best. Um, but when I was about 18 or so is when I started getting really, really into the queer theory in cinema and it started with Scream. Mm-hmm. So what I do now, like as a 31-year-old, which is analyzing, dissecting queerness in cinema, all began because of Scream. And that is something that I really, I don't know, like it's added this extra layer of love and appreciation to this movie Mm -hmm. because my entire career is kind of responsible for being able to correctly identify that subtext, (laughs) watching it as a child, and then learning what that subtext means, how it fits in the world of cinema, how it fits in the world of storytelling, how it fits in the landscape of horror in general and Mm -hmm. slashers in general. It's all Billy Loves Too. Yeah. And it just makes me very, I don't know, it makes me feel some kind of way. And like that is, you know, that's the Kevin Williamson touch of it all is that even if canonically speaking, Stu is with Tatum and Billy is with Sydney, we know that those are also means to an end. Like Billy gets involved with Sydney because of his own bitterness towards Sydney's mom. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually like her. Like this is, this is a pawn in his long game. And Stu kind of does the same thing with Tatum. Like, I think that Stu genuinely does like Tatum. I think he likes fucking Tatum more than he likes anything. Yeah. Um, But also, like, he loves Billy. And Billy has this big plan. And he wants to impress him. And he wants to be there for him. And he wants to be his partner in crime. So, yeah, he's going to date Sydney's best friend. Because that that works for the plan. And that makes Billy happy. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. Like, it's so good. This is Leopold and Loeb all over again. It's so sweet. It's so the, sweet. These guys being dudes. These guys being dudes, <laughs> just being young love and killing people. Yeah. It's great. If only they had gotten out of their small-ish town and made it to college where they could experiment more. Fucking right. Where they could have done something with all of this repressed gay rage. All of this pent-up frustration and toxic behavior. Oh, God. They would have, like, could you imagine, like, Stu at a gay club? Oh, my God. He would have been the most popular person on the floor. He would be the most, everybody would love him. He would have, he would never have to pay for a drink in his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I love their their relationship. I love the the queer read that is so obviously there. Yeah, and I know that it, it's a Kevin Williamson thing. Like it's so embedded in his work, and just it's magnificent. It's well, it's great. It's also embedded in Wes Craven's work because Freddie is drag. Freddie's a drag queen. Yeah, like straight up. Yeah. Freddie's a drag queen the same way that Elvira's a drag queen the same way Dolly Parton's a drag queen. Yeah, like ugh, obsessed. It's this movie's so gay. I love it. <laughs> and that's and that's something that I think is really, really important. And I, I know I've talked about it before that the history of horror movies has always been rooted in the expressions of queer creatives. Mm-hmm. And Scream is the movie that revitalized the slasher genre and revitalized horror movies for the 90s for an entirely new generation. And without Scream, we would not have any subverted horror movies that we've gotten in the year since, mm-hmm. um, Scream did that. It paved the way for that, and I think that that's that that's incredible. Um, and it's because of its inherent queerness. Mm-hmm. Like its inherent queerness subverts all expectations because queerness in general subverts the heterosexist expectations of society. And ugh, God, Scream is so fucking good. Like it's one of those things where it's like this episode could be five hours long, or it could be me just being like, "It's fucking great. Go watch it. That's all I got." Like. That's that's the type of movie this is. Yeah. Um, for the sake of 
my life editing. Let's not have it be five hours. <laughs> um, but no, th- th- that's the parts that I really want us to focus on because obviously Scream is so beloved. It's one. It, it's, it's probably the best slasher outside of the original Black Christmas, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's because like I can recognize how good it is. Oh yeah. Like even if I my emotional heart is in there, my brain's there. I can see it, but emotionally, yes. I'm fu- I'm fucked over. Yeah. Um. But no, the, since because of that, everyone has wildly dissected and talked about all of the things they love about it, all of the nuances, every little subtle detail. So that's the part that I want to discuss, though, is like our specific relationship to this film and what we bring to the table as far as a discussion. Mm-hmm. And I think that you I, I think it's very interesting that you and I are coming from such different levels of appreciation for it, because I like this film, um, even if I've been saying like, but it's not as good as I want it to be. But that's my own personal thing. It's the same thing as our Not Another Teen Movie episode, where having the context of what it was making fun of just made me appreciate the original more. Mm -hmm. But I think for something like this, where the stakes are higher, when there's mystery and there's intrigue and all these things, it was was a little spoiled in that sense. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't ruin the experience. It just doesn't hit the way it would have. Right. You know? Yeah, no, completely understand. So I think that that's a really unique way to us to talk about it and i think that's just kind of what we do in general is how do things resonate specifically with us on in relation to like the films that and the media we're consuming Mm -hmm. i mean the whole point of the sunset prom is that we talk about how our different lived experiences influence the way that we consume these movies Mm -hmm. and your lived experience in this example has nothing to do with like your transness no it has everything to do with you saw scary movie first and like many times many many times probably a dozen times before i saw this movie god that's so like that hurts me (laughs) i'm sorry but speaking of what this and the problem does scream is not inherently a teen girl movie this is very popular with boys it's because it's a horror movie. Yes, exactly. And horror is an acceptable subgenre for boys to like. Exactly. And oftentimes we see a lot of more um, ill-equipped horror, horror, horror bros talk mm-hmm. about being like, uh, I love women characters. Uh, what are you talking about? Because they will then cite examples All of like, final, final girls. girls. And I don't know what that says about like female writing or female characters or female stories, you know? I don't think it really dives into the interesting aspects of, 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 of women characters and women writing. So I can tell you exactly what this is. Sure. Um, I'm going to paraphrase the work of the amazing and comparable Carol J. Clover, who wrote the book Men, Women, and Chainsaws, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the Bible in terms of analyzing gender roles in horror movies, specifically slasher movies. Okay. And the argument that she makes is like the reason that we have final girls and like what the final girl does and why she exists is because the final girls, historically speaking, tend to adopt very masculine characteristics in order to survive. So although they are definitely girls, because they're Mm -hmm. teenagers and they are girls, they sort of serve in that like shell position where boys can see themselves in that character Mm -hmm. because they're not overtly feminine. So then boys don't have that immediate disconnect or that wall that they put up of like, oh, I can't be that character. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they don't look like Linnea Quigley in Night of the Demons where it's pink and frill and like high femme. They don't look like Tatum where it's hard nipples out and patterned skirts. They, They don't look like the girls from The Craft, which came out the same year as Scream. Yeah. They don't look like the girls from The Craft. Like 
like Sydney for the most part is wearing like jeans and a basic t-shirt and she's brunette. Also a very important thing to mm-hmm. note. Um, and while Sydney does have sex, which does make her different than all of the other girls that only further proves for these boys, why they love her so much. Cause they're like, I have sex too. And I also would survive. Cause I'm no punk bitch. Mm-hmm. I'm j- yeah. So they feel like they can fall into that role, which is why, when you do have horror bros talk about like the female characters they like, they tend to go for final girls because in their brain they can associate, well, that's who I would have been in the horror movie. I'd be the survivor. Yeah. It's less about the final girl and more about the final. Yes. I completely agree with that. Um, I think we've just talked about this on a number of other episodes, but like Ellen Ripley's a great character, but Ellen Ripley wasn't written to be a woman. Yeah. That character was written to be a man and then just pivoted to cast a woman because Sigourney Weaver, fucking rules because she does fucking rule but like citing her as a good example of a female character gets a little dicey in that respect Mm -hmm. um most intensely and it comes up every fucking christmas is the black christmas 2019 conversation where Mm -hmm. then every guy will just be like um actually uh i don't hate women because i like the original movie but not the new one and i'm like in the same way that i have my own specific barrier and it's not retired to gender there's definitely like a um a, a, a sexism kind of personal hangup that a lot of people have, but they don't mm-hmm. acknowledge. Because I don't think that they've ever really interrogated like what it is about those characters that they like, like really, really interrogated mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and and th- the best example of that is when they announced Scream 5, the amount of people that were like, they really need to kill Sydney and get on with the oh franchise. Oh my god! And so it's like, many people said that. If that's a, if that's the take that you have, that like Sydney, Gale, and Dewey need to die to like move forward with the franchise, then you fundamentally don't understand what Scream is about. Yeah. Because Scream is a slasher movie that's not fucking about the slasher. It's about Sydney. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so that to me is like that's the red flag of like then you don't actually know what you like. Like you. You think you know what you're saying when you say that you like Scream, that you like Sydney, but if you think that she's supposed to die in Scream 5, then, like, you fucking don't know what the series is about or has ever been about. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the the interesting part is that, obviously, there's always the threat that these characters won't come out because there's no promise of a, no, a new Scream movie. Exactly. Like, there's always that threat, which is the exciting part of it, um, mm-hmm. even if I have confidence that they won't get killed off. But, like, there's there's always the chance that they might. But the point of Scream is not about like, oh, it's got cool kills or it's got a cool villain. Like, these are true. It's it's about how, how Sid- you don't die. How it's does Sydney get out of this? Yeah. Like, it's about surviving. And that's why so much of her character is built around the trauma of surviving. Yeah. <laughs> like, 100% that. And that is such a subversion of what a typical slasher film is. And that's why I think people's brains kind of break because as much as they know, and they can say like, well, scream is a a meta slasher film. How much work have they done to contextualize what that actually means? Mm -hmm. And like, I want to bring that back to, to the opening scene because that opening moment is why scream is like right off the bat is why all bets are off Mm -hmm. because we open with Casey Becker, played by Drew Barrymore. And Drew Barrymore is is blonde. She's wearing a sweater. She's, you know, from a famous movie family. She's in kind of like one of her biggest career highs. She was billed as the star of the She's movie. She's billed as the star of the movie. She is the face that's on all of the posters that we have since, like, taken and reinterpreted as the movies have gone on. It was mm-hmm. always about, like, Drew Barrymore. And then they fucking kill her. And not only do they kill her... 
like they slaughter her on, on the, the phone. phone with her mom. Yeah. Like it is I like I genuinely think people forget how mean that is because that opening has been parodied so much and yeah. like the phone call has been parodied so or, much. Or it's just they think of Scream as this comedy because I mean it's funny. Yeah. It's a funny movie. That opening scene isn't funny. It's not funny. There's no so comedy mean. in that opening scene. It is so, like, when Casey Becker is, like, dragging and clearly dying and yells for her mom while she's holding her phone, I, like, want to throw up. Like, it is so heartbreaking to watch. And then what does her parents find? Their house torn to shreds. There's fire popcorn on mm-hmm. <laughs> on the stove. And then their daughter is hanging and cut she's apart. strung up. She's fucking strung like up a, and like gutted. Deer. It's awful like Uh it's so brutal and like that moment happens and you're like what the fuck where's the rest of this movie going and that's brilliant because um, like right off the bat just like your knees have been kicked out you're on the ground and you've got to figure out where 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 are you going and like it's brilliant it's so brilliant and then you have all of these kids which you mean you meet essentially our actual cast Mm -hmm. and they're all kind of assholes yeah, they're all making fun of, like, Casey's death and her boyfriend's death. And it's like, wow, like, is the body even, is is it even cold yet? That's, and the thing is, I think that's how you modernize a slasher in the 90s like that, though. Is yeah. you need everyone to be, like. Everyone's kind of a little bit of an edgelord. Everyone's an edgelord. Everyone pokes fun at, like, really bleak situations. Because that's just what teen culture had evolved to by that point. Mm-hmm. They weren't mean in like a bullying sense that you would see throughout the 80s with slasher films where it's like, I'm going to make fun of her because she's a virgin or she's ugly or she doesn't have tits and needs a screw. Like, right. That's not. It's not so pointed. That's not what these characters are. And I think that's what makes them more interesting. They're not caricatures. Yes. And I think that it really does capture kind of that cruelty of the late 90s into the early aughts where th- there was kind of that mindset of like. I'm not bigoted. I hate everybody. Oh, like God. that mentality was a thing. So they're not being pointed about like this one individual person. Let me like pick at that one thing they have. It was just kind of like a general spray of cruelty. <laughs> like that's kind of the world that we're falling into, mm-hmm. which I find very, very interesting. Um, but the thing that Scream does by being a metatextual movie and being this movie that kind of forces you to analyze it is this movie is sort of what ushered in the next wave of horror film theory as like a legitimate form because now we have this perfect example of like, no, we need to take this apart. We Mm -hmm. need to like just rip it bare and figure out how this works. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I don't think people realize Scream did because it's one of those things where, like, you know, like, in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, Scream changed the game. But I don't think people fully grasp just how far that reach goes mm-hmm. and how it genuinely did change everything. Because now that we have Scream and people are analyzing it and they're thinking about it and they're they're ripping it apart, you can't make a lazy horror movie anymore. Because audiences have now been trained to rip apart these movies mm-hmm. because Scream did it. And showed them how to do it. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, someone will go like, oh, well, the lighting's nice or the kills are cool. Like, that, 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 but that's not a plus. That's the standard. Right. So, like, it's like, I guess that's technically a compliment, but it really shouldn't be that high praise unless mm-hmm. everything else just does it really poorly. That, that should be just what you expect out of a movie. Mm-hmm. Scream is basically 
telling audiences like, hey, you should you should want more from your movies. Yeah. You should demand more from them because now you know how to study them. Especially because it's a slasher film. And traditionally speaking, slashers are considered like the dumbest genre of horror. Yeah, slasher films, there are so many that are great and wonderful, and there's a reason why the slasher genre is so beloved. But if you go down the laundry list of some of the slashers that came out of the 1980s, there are some rough fucking entries oh, yeah. that are just paint by numbers, absolute nothing burgers. Uh-huh. I I have seen entirely too many shark movies. I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like what shark movies are now since the Sharknado franchise especially is what slasher movies were in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Where it's just totally. like, I don't fucking know. It doesn't cost any money and people will keep watching it because they just want to watch some people die. But like, <laughs> fuck it. We don't have to worry about writing something good. Right. Whereas like you kind of can't get away with that anymore. And like people try to all the time. They're like, oh, yeah. oh I'm making like this. A uh, slasher movie, it's very 80s inspired. And then everyone's like, yeah, and Scream taught me how to rip this apart and show you what you did wrong and what formulas are are good and what formulas deserve to be broken and how to subvert things. And that's why then you get movies like The Final Girls, which do such a good job because it knows the rules and knows how to bend and break them and mm-hmm. subvert them. Um, but it just, the power this movie has. Uh-huh. <laughs> Careful. This is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare. Not in my movie. So I guess my final thought that I really want to explore is the fact that for as much as Scream sort of mocks and points out all of the ridiculousness of horror movies... It loves horror movies so much. Mm -hmm. And it really does have so much respect for the genre and for those that love the horror genre. And I think that is the difference between so many other like quote unquote meta horror movies or even something like Scary Movie, like a Not Another Teen Movie. Scream genuinely loves the genre that it's tearing apart. Yeah. And I think that's because... It's a meta commentary. It's not a parody. Right. I think when you get like, this is a mean spirited movie that is tearing apart and analyzing the things that worked and didn't work about a specific genre. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what's exciting and cool about it. Mm -hmm. But then you have something like, say, Scary Movie, where it's like, hey, um, this thing that was actually really smart and really groundbreaking. What if you point out all the dumb stuff about it? That it actually was going against. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't actually do. But mm-hmm. we're making commentary on other scary movies that do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is a significantly dumber film. I love that movie, but it is significantly dumber. <laughs> exactly. So, I think that that's the difference where, as much as, like, Not Another Teen Movie or Scary Movie were mean-spirited. Or, like, how you have these people who make a mockery of X thing or try to make a commentary on th- X thing. It's really obvious when you don't appreciate that thing, especially for fans of it. Oh, yeah. So there are obviously meta horror films that came out between Scream and Get Out. Like, we have Tucker and Dale versus Evil. We have The Cabin in the Woods. We, and have, Ch- we have Chucky. We have Chucky. Like, there, we have all of these things that happen. Um, but Get Out, in my opinion, is the next one that does it 
as powerfully mm-hmm. as Scream. Where, where it feels it, momentous. Where it feels momentous and where it feels like it's taking all of your expectations about the genre and completely flipping it on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jordan Peele has talked about like what an influence Scream was on his work, which makes complete fucking sense when you see it. Uh-huh. And I think it's really important to to draw that parallel because for a lot of people, they're like, get out changed the game in horror. It changed what was ca- like possible to do on screen. Mm-hmm. And the last time that had happened was Scream. Yeah. So Scream is a direct influence on Get Out, which is now has reshaped the genre as as we know it and that is really cool to me and like that is the longevity of something like scream yeah obviously you can't like reinvent the wheel with every movie that comes out that you want it to like even the scream movies don't totally reinvent the wheel they just continue being scream movies which is not a knock against them because it's the most consistently good for horror franchise for a reason well yeah they take the they take the building blocks of Scream and then they evolve them with the times, which is why Scream 4 is so brilliant. Exactly. I think it's going to be exciting when we have a new thing that sort of takes the next thing. Like, say, 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what do you... Then I, I was going to ask, like, what do you even think that's going to look like? And I'm like, I have who, no who idea. fucking knows? Who fucking knows? It's going to depend impossible. on where we are, I guess, at that point. Right, exactly. So I think that that's, uh, I think that's exciting. I think so, too. That's one of the most exciting things about this, because we'll be still be getting Scream we'll movies st- in 10 years. I hope so. <laughs> I, I want to see old ass Sydney like kicking ass. Uh, I, I, I want that, but I don't know if I want that. I also want her to just like be able to have a nice, enjoyable retirement. Right. She's been through so much. That's kind of the thing here is, um, she deserves a spa weekend. Yeah, you, you are immensely excited for Scream Five. I'm out of control excited for Scream Five. I'm excited, but not as much for you because I kind of just like it when things end eventually. I, I want Scream to have a happy ending. I don't, I don't know if that will ever happen, I don't, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I kind of just want Scream to be like, yep, here we go. We're done. We're like, we did it. But the thing is, you can never do that because it's not like, hey, we beat Michael Myers. We're done. No, like, you can never properly beat because Michael Myers. Because we can have endless ghost faces. He'll just keep getting rebooted. But like, ghost face is someone different every time. Yeah. There is, there is like, he's fucking Doctor Who of horror. <laughs> I'm going to tweet that. Okay, you're welcome. But... <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know when they're going to end Scream and I don't that that that's also interesting. Yeah. I just hope they continue to be good. I hope so too and we will we will find out soon. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> All right, Harmony. I think that kind of covers everything, so the major question. Scream is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no or a maybe and are you writing anything on the card back? It's a yes. I was real. My butthole puckered real hard just now thinking you were going to say maybe. No, 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 no. It's it's a yes, because like, even if I'm don't emotionally love Scream as everyone else, as much as everyone else does, it's still fucking great. And it's not the movie's fault. And it's still mm-hmm. extremely well aged. Mm-hmm. Like there's I, I have no complaints about it. Mm-hmm. I also think that as far as like a teen film goes, Scream Filled a very necessary and very large hole in the 90s for teen cinema. Oh, yeah. It saved the genre. Like, it really did. Yeah. So I don't really know what else to add to this that we haven't already said and that what everyone else already hasn't said about how much they love Scream. (laughs) But there we have it. Beautiful. Well, that definitely, I think, takes us out on Scream. Uh Uh-huh. 
As always, you can support the show by subscribing to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Did I forget to put it at the top of the show? Yeah, I did. What are you going to do about it? Absolutely nothing because you're already here. We're defying our own formula. <laughs> We're dissecting it. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. Uh, give us that five star Apple review. It generally does help. We've been getting so many of them lately and it's been so great. We love you so much. It's just thank you for doing that. It <laughs> makes me happy. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you as always to the Sonder Bombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out this week? I'm plugging someone that I know that you are quite familiar with. Ooh. It is Boy Jr. I love Boy Jr. And I also love that I discovered Boy Jr. because they kept showing up on my For You page. And then one day you were trying to show me this video. And I was like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, I know them. They they stitched a video with one of my friends. And <laughs> they are great. I love Boy Jr. <laughs> yes. So um, Boy Jr. does like kind of bedroom pop. Um, I, I got on the train like a while ago, but I did. I think it's really funny that you and I got here from to two totally different things. Honestly, I think they have a great social media thing where they do fake songs by fake bands, and they're all very different and interesting, and they're, they're clearly very talented. Anyway, at the time of this episode coming out, they have just put out a song called Chartreuse, in which they talk about being obsessed with uh, your blues and greens, which I thought was like, oh, hey. fuck, I need to plug this on the podcast now because it's perfect. Other songs by Boy Jr. that I love just as much include Narcissist Baby, which is about narcissistic, awful people. And you can be a narcissist even if you're insecure, too, which, oof, boy, does that is that something. That is a conversation that a lot of people are not ready to have. Oh, golly, it's so good. Uh, and also, I think their most popular song on Spotify, because it blew up a little bit on TikTok, is Are They Actually Attractive? Which mm -hmm. is like, are they actually attractive? Or do they just have like a nose piercing or colorful <laughs> hair? Are or, they actually fashionable or are they just thin? It's it's kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. So yeah, everyone check out Boy Junior. Yeah, they rule. Big fan. Big, love, big, love them big time. Huge fan. Always excited whenever <laughs> they're like, I'm putting out a new song and hopefully my TikTok people will actually listen to it. <laughs> Good news. I do. I am that person. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends. I think that takes us out on this episode of Scream, a part of spooky season, but in January. October part two. Yeah. October, <laughs> the sequel. Time is meaningless. We've discussed this. Yes. <laughs> All right, friends. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. Damn it, do we?
Well, what did Mama tell you? When I wear this badge, you treat me like a man of the law. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.